Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linke, uniting coaches at every level of the game around the love of the game. We are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linke. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I am Dean Linke. Delighted to be with you for this special Thanksgiving edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, coming to you one day early and one day after the USA played Italy. Alexi Lalas, a true American soccer icon. He was in the studio for Fox, breaking down that one nothing loss to Italy. Alexi Lalas will join us off the top. Up next, Johan Settergren. He's got Kentucky as the number three seed in the NCAA tournament for men's soccer. Yeah, we're not talking about John Calipari. We're talking about Johan Settergren. He played for Jeff Cook at Cincinnati. He was an assistant under Jeff Cook at Dartmouth. Seven years in at Kentucky. He's got a team that is absolutely smoking big-time teams, including the Indiana Hoosiers. Remember Todd Yegley? He was on the program last week. He beat Indiana by a score of 3 to nothing. They play Limpscomb Saturday night to advance for a shot at either Duke or Maryland. Speaking of Indiana, the Air Force Academy knocked off Denver, so there goes that matchup between two Mac Herman Trophy candidates and the big-time center forward for Denver and Andrew Gutman of Indiana. In comes Air Force. They face Indiana 12 o'clock on the Big Ten Network. I'll have the call, and I'll have their coach, Doug Hill, the head coach at Air Force. He replaced the legendary Lou Sagastumi. He played for Lou Sagastumi, and now he's got Air Force one step away from the Elite Eight, a place they haven't been since 1993. I'm thankful for this program. I'm thankful for all of you listening, and I'm thankful for Alexi Laos, who kicks off the show after this message from Team Snap. Still managing your club or league on paper and spreadsheets? Go paperless with Team Snap. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, they have way fewer paper cuts. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to find out more. Now, once again, here's our host, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. So thankful that you're listening. So thankful to be working in soccer. So thankful for our guest today. Coming up a little later, Doug Hill, the head coach of Air Force. That's right, Air Force. They knocked off Denver. They'll take on Todd Yegley's Indiana Hoosiers on Sunday at noon. I'll have that call on the Big Ten Network. want to also thank Johan Settergren, number three, Kentucky. That's right, Kentucky. We're not talking basketball. Kentucky men's soccer, number three in the country. And, of course, we save the best for last, the purveyor of awesomeness. He is Alexi Lalas. He was awesome in the 90s when he played at Rutgers, 80s and 90s. He was awesome on the Olympic team, awesome on multiple World Cup teams, awesome in Major League Soccer, over in Italy, and he's awesome on Fox and his podcast, State of the Union, everything he does. I like that, by the way. I think that'll stick. The purveyor of awesomeness, Alexi Lalas. Thanks for being on the program. Well, thank you for having me. It's a lot of awesome. It's not easy. It's not easy keeping up this level of awesome on a consistent basis, but uh, uh, it's a labor of love. Uh, I love it. Uh, okay, so USA today against Italy, were they awesome or not so awesome? No, whatever the opposite of, of awesome is, that's what they were. They were not as completely opposite of awesome as they were against England. Uh, however, it still was not good. The U.S. Uh, held on what we, to what we thought was going to be a 
uh, a draw, tie, whatever you want to call it, 0-0. And then in the 94th minute, uh, they conspired to let Italy find a goal. And to be fair, Italy was the better team throughout the uh, the game. Certainly in terms of possession, uh, it does not send um, chills down anybody's spine in a good way in terms of ending this 2018. But as you know, it's been a very strange year plus since that incredible failure in Trinidad. Um, and I am just happy to kind of close this chapter because by all accounts, including our uh, Grant Wall, who reported on Fox, on Fox that uh, within the next week or so, U.S. Soccer Federation is going to announce that coach that everyone's kind of been clamoring for. And I just think at this point it's gotten to a point where it's untenable, and, and you could see the frustration of the players, uh, and you can certainly feel and, and see the frustration of the uh, fan base right now. You just kind of want to get on with this right now. And that has nothing to do with the respect for Dave Sarakin, who i got a lot of respect for what he has done over the last year, but we kind of need to get this thing moving. And it's, it's dragged on too long, and, un- and unfortunately I think it's been needlessly dragged on. So does that mean they already know or knew or should have hired the guy that they're going to hire? And who are they going to hire, Alexi? So I think uh, I, I think somebody would have gotten to us all uh, because in the constant talking and referencing of Greg Berhalter, I think that's your odds-on favorite. It would I mean, it would be out of complete left field for everybody who is anybody in the industry that knows uh, because – that, that's what the name keeps coming back to be, which is fine. I have no problem with Greg Berhalter. I think at some point Greg Berhalter is going to ha- answer the question, when was either he or someone that represents him um, contacted by the United States Soccer Federation? And when was he assured that it was going to be his job? And why has it taken this so long? I respect what's gone on in uh, Columbus, and I respect the fact that Greg Berhalter wants to give his all for Columbus, but uh, this could have been done earlier. If you think that Greg Berhalter is the man for the job, then the first moment that you think that and he's available uh, and you think he's the best man, you go, you, you go and do it. But, um, you know, I think, I think it, it would be one of the most more strangest uh, and surprising things to happen if when, whatever it is, next week, two weeks from now, the U.S. Soccer Federation announces the coach that is anybody but Greg Berhalter. Does Alexi Lalas, a.k.a. the purveyor of awesomeness, think Berhalter is the best choice? Uh, I, I, so I would have, if it came down to someone like uh, Peter Vermes, if he was in the mix, I think Peter Vermes, if I had my druthers, that would be somebody. And I have, I, look, I, I know Greg, I, I think, actually think he's a really good coach. I think Peter is a little further along. But with anything comes other baggage. And so for Peter, I think he would need more power. But I think that Greg's going to do a fine job. I would have had no problem with Greg. Uh, with Peter Vermes, with Tab Ramos, in terms of those those names from the inside, um, I think I think all of us have been worn down by this process. So it's almost as if we just want a human being with a beating heart in that job, so we can kind of uh, uh, move move forward. And I think Greg's going to do a fine job. He's got plenty of talent and young talent coming up. But ultimately, whether it's Greg or anybody else, they have to come in with a plan. I don't have to agree with the plan. That's it's fine. I don't. I you know I have my ideas about what should happen. But I want somebody with a plan. Even if I think it's flawed, I'd rather have someone with a flawed plan than no plan at all. And right now, this team has been in this this stasis, in this purgatory, where nothing is able almost to move forward until this person is brought in. And we even heard Christian Pulisic this week after the England game saying, I just want a guy coming in with a plan. So this team is hungry for somebody permanent right now. Dave Dave Serkin can say all he wants, but you're looking at him as a player, and you're saying, that's all fine and well, but you're going to be gone sooner rather than later. And then somebody else is going to come in. And this is where it gets back to, uh, you know, I, 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 over a year ago, I called out the U.S. men's national team right before that failure. And unfortunately, I guess they didn't listen to me. Mm. But 
you can blame not having a coach all you want. Greg Berhalter is not going to kick. If he's the coach, he's not going to kick a ball for this team. Uh, and so the responsibility, while I recognize that it is hampered, uh, this national team, it's not all on the fact that they don't have a coach. And so these players that played today and that played over this last year for Dave Sarikin and for the U.S. national team, just because you played under Dave Sarikin doesn't mean that you're going to be involved going forward. And so holding them accountable, even a very young and inexperienced group as it is right now, I think is fair and legitimate. And we're only going to hold them accountable more. But, you know, we go on to 2019, we have a new coach, uh, Gold Cup coming in the summer of uh, 2019, which, by the way, you can see on Fox, as well as the Women's World Cup on mm-hmm. Fox. That's going to be a fun summer. And if they do well in the Gold Cup leading into the, the start of qualifying, I think everybody will put 2018 out of their minds. But it doesn't mean that it isn't a not a wasted opportunity, but something that could have been used to make us just that much better. So two layers for the new coach. The 20th player made their debut this year in this game against Italy today. Okay, so you got those 20 players. And then you've got those veterans that were on, as you so rightly said, astutely said, the disaster from you know four years ago or whenever it was. Let's start with the veteran players, okay? And you did call a lot of those out. Are any of them hanging on for this next cycle? Um, I think you're going to see players like uh, you should. I mean, obviously, Christian Pulisic, I still put him in with the young group, even though he was involved. Right. Uh, a guy like Brooks, uh, a guy like Yedlin. Uh, then you, but the, the, I think the real conversation and where the real debate happens is you know, someone like Josie Altidore, someone like Michael Bradley, uh, these types of players, uh, even someone like Brad Duzan uh, going forward. Um, I, can, I can be convinced maybe on a Josie, but there is an element of throwing the baby out with the bathwater or, or just kind of wanting to make a clean sweep of it and out with that, that they're not all old, but at least that older uh, group of players that have been around for a while and kind of starting new. And the reason why I say that is I think there has to be a collective ownership and recognition of the responsibility. And they almost have to foster it in a, in a new generation, which is why also, Dean, you mentioned the Olympic team early on. Uh, sometimes that gets short shrift and, and that's not good. Qualifying for this next Olympics, I think, is going to be huge in terms of us doing well in 2022 in the World Cup, because I think you can foster and cultivate this group of young players, put them in a, in a World Cup-like scenario where you have to qualify, and then obviously you qualify and you do well. So I think it's going to be really, really important to have that be a priority for U.S. soccer. And I think the, the, the heart, if you will, of 2022 and For that matter, 2026, I think, is going to come in this next generation that's going to try to qualify for the Olympics in a few years. Okay, I I just put Christian Pulisic in the automatic. I don't want to put him in the young or old. But of these 20 new players that we're trying to get to know, you probably know him better than uh, the rest of us. But are there a couple that stand out that could make a Christian Pulisic kind of input? I think Weston McKinney, people are going to talk about. I think Tyler Adams, people should rightly talk about uh, going forward. Today we saw a really nice goalkeeper performance from Ethan Horvath. Uh, you know, these types of players, I, I, I still think that there's going to be not a revolving door, but a, a recognition that this final group is, is yet to be assembled. But I, I do think that, uh, that as we go forward, maybe even some names that we're not even talking about yet will emerge. And that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. And maybe even some of the names that we look to uh, right now won't be as important as we may think in this moment. Because, look, I think uh, we're talking about it on air today. Because the next World Cup is in the fall, in November, we are exactly four years away from when this thing will be being played. Obviously, we have qualifying uh, before that, but that's, that's four years that we can 
that we can use to our advantage to find the right collection of players. Because remember, Dean, it's not about the best players. It's about the best collection of players. Mm. And there are going to be some players that we can recognize are very good and very talented, but they just don't fit. And I know that scares the bejesus out of a lot of American soccer fans to possibly not have recognized talent on the national team. But that's the reality of, of, of any team, to be quite honest. Just, it's just because you are a good player doesn't mean you fit with what the coach wants to do, with the way the team is, on and off the field. So it's a, it's a, it's a jigsaw puzzle right now. I do believe ultimately that jigsaw puzzle will be, will be solved and we will be better off coming out the other end. But, hell, this last year has not been something that any of us wanted to go through, but maybe in a, in a strange way, it's a step back in order to go two steps forward. Well, you're so right. I think about your team in 94 with Mike Sorber, right? A guy who uh, did okay yep. in college, but wasn't a superstar, but he fit in as part of what uh, Bora wanted to get done. And he helped you guys push through that uh, first round. Yeah. And, and the Olympic team influence on that 94 team myself. Uh, you got guys like Kobe Jones. You got guys like Brad Friedel. Uh, you got guys like uh, Mike Lapper. A lot of that team from uh, 1994 was populated from the Olympic team from 1992. Absolutely. So it's really, really important. That's a real good opportunity. And unfortunately, we've, we've let that opportunity go to waste the last couple of cycles. And I don't think we can afford to do that anymore. Meanwhile, Alexi, from where you sit, one of the more fascinating trends, though, despite the, the tragedy of the USA not making the World Cup, is the way major. Major League Soccer just keeps on cooking. Are you kidding me with some of these crowds and now these new teams coming in? I mean, FC Cincinnati, 25,000 is a bad day for FC mm-hmm. Cincinnati. You know, like, I mean, it's it's pretty cool. And some of these international stars that still got it, Zlatan was good, Wayne was good. I mean, uh, I think the league is just on fire. Your thoughts? It's, it's a really interesting league. And I know I'm biased. It's La Cosa Nostra. It's our thing. And I, I, I get that. But uh, even if I try to take a step back and look at it from a completely unbiased view, it's it's unprecedented in terms of the growth of not just the sport, but the, the, the league of Major League Soccer, what has happened on and off the field. And sometimes we love to kick ourselves for what we haven't done, but we also have to pat ourselves on the back. And I think a lot of credit goes to the organizers off the field, to the players that have come since 1996 uh, in this league. And more, most importantly, the American soccer community, I guess in this case it would be the North American soccer community, that is no longer underground, is no longer niche, it's above ground, it's vibrant, it's passionate, it's, it's discerning. And this whole culture and soccer culture that has been created, especially when it comes to Major League Soccer teams, is wonderful. And they are becoming parts of communities with youth development, with, as I said, the supporters culture, with the relevancy that many of these teams have in market. And you're seeing that Look, there's people that are very, very smart when it comes to business, recognizing that this is a smart investment. This is a uh, this is something that you can be very, very bullish about going forward. If it's a stock, it is heading up, but you want to get it now when the price of uh, of, of getting into the league is well, low relative to other sports. It's certainly skyrocketed in, in that you could have had an MLS team, what, 10, 15 years ago for five, ten million million, mm-hmm. and now it's going for in the 150s, it'll get up to the 200 uh, millions. Plus the stadium situation, you can have the prettiest thing in the world, but even when you put it in a nice box, it makes it that much better. All of those things are, are wonderful. I, I remain incredibly proud and positive about the way MLS is going. It doesn't mean it doesn't have problems, and it doesn't have weakness, and it doesn't have challenges on and off the field, but in totality, it's a pretty phenomenal success story so far. How many teams are too many? Can we add more? Because there's some other markets that are pretty excited about joining MLS. I, I don't think that they're, they're going to stop, especially when people are paying this amount of money to get in in terms of expansion fees. I don't 
necessarily think that that is a problem. I think it's a very, very different landscape and climate than it was, say, in the NASL days. And I know that there's the fear of uh, of depth and diluting the product. Look, if there, if there are markets that want to be there, they want to build soccer stadiums, they want to put the money in, they want to revitalize areas, all those different things, um, I think that they're going to find a way to be in MLS. What will be really interesting to see is the relationship with USL and the relationships with other leagues. And I always tell people uh, it is wide open right now. And if you believe that there's a better way than what MLS is doing, go build a better mousetrap. And some people have actually done that. And I support them 100% in what they are doing. I just want people playing soccer, and I want professional soccer out there, whether it's men's, women's, co-ed, naked, really doesn't matter to me. <laughs> so this is, this is a good time for professional soccer in the United States with all the different options that we have. But at some point, the intersection of all of these leagues and – Dare I say it, uh, the possible implementation of promotion relegation, albeit maybe a intra-MLS with an MLS 1, MLS 2, um, all of that kind of stuff I think is going to be on the table. It's going to be fascinating as we go forward to see what MLS becomes, but also what MLS becomes in a climate um, and in and, and this part of this template uh, and this palette that we have out there of professional soccer that includes USL, it includes multiple uh, multiple leagues. It's, it's also not for the faint of heart, as you know, <laughs> professional soccer out there. Or we can talk about all the success stories, but there's plenty of things that haven't gone well along the way, and we want to try to limit those. Alexi Lalas, you've had some amazing teammates who you you know cross paths with all the time, and Tony Miola, John Harks, Eric Winalda, Tab Ramos. Uh, those guys are pretty good at what you do as well, but the coaching bug has just pulled them back and pulled them back and pulled them back. What do you think of that, the fact that they'd really rather coach than do what you do? And what about you? What made you say, I don't want to coach? Uh, I think you have to find something that you love in life. And if you are able to, one, find it, two, find people that are willing to pay you to do it, count yourself lucky because you are in the minority. There are very few people in life that get to have both of those things. I recognized very early on that this was something that uh, I wanted to do and something that I was good at, and I found people that were willing to pay me to do that. Uh, I find so many people in, in our industry, Dean, that, uh, that just kind of passing through, and you can get away with that for a little bit, uh, but ultimately I think it will manifest itself in your performance, and I think you're ultimately cheating yourself and the viewer if you're not fully invested. I'm a junkie for this. I, I love what I do. I don't want to coach. If, if, if there came a time in the future where I wanted to coach, I'd do everything in my power to make that happen, but I don't want to do that. And so I'm, so, I'm happy. I'm happy when someone like Brad Friedel uh, or someone like Tony Miola or John Harks, who I have worked with in television, finally get to do what they really want to do. And by the way, they're, they're multiple threats because, as you mentioned, they're very, very good on television. But if your heart is not 100% committed, then – I want you to be in a, situ- in, a, in, in a situation, I want you to find that circumstance that enables you to be 100% committed. And they're very, very fortunate to, uh, in many cases, have found that and be doing exactly what they want to do. Quick look at college soccer, mainly because you put Rutgers on the map. And uh, sadly, Dan Donegan, just a great guy, great guy to interview, a lot of fun, a lot of enthusiasm, but it just didn't work out. As you look at your alma mater and you know, knowing that uh, no matter what people say, college soccer is still going to be an important fabric of soccer in this country, uh, what do you think Rutgers should do? They got to find someone that can recruit. Um, and look, that's no different than any other sport. This is what college is. You got to be able to uh, make a connection with the players. 
nationally and certainly regionally and, and in your area, especially when you're a, te- you're a team uh, in a school like Rutgers that has so much talent in its backyard. And then you've got to be able to go into people's houses and talk to parents and, and convince them as to why this is the best path, uh, path forward for, for the players, not just as players, but as young men. And that's what's going to have to happen going forward. I remember growing up uh, and then going to uh, Rutgers, and I didn't know anything about Rutgers. But Rutgers, for those people who don't know, is the state school of, uh, of, uh, of New Jersey. It's basically New Jersey State. Um, and I would, I, we, would, we would watch the football team. football team has not been good for many years. But we would watch the football team play, and we would see, I don't know, Penn State playing or something like that. And they would come up with the lineups, uh, and it would be every single player was from New Jersey. That can't happen from a soccer perspective. We can't be losing talent out of state when there is so much talent to be had. And so I think really whoever comes in needs to recognize they need to mine that state. And once they get that down, then the rest will come. And by the way, what's changed over the years is in your state now, and certainly when I say the state, I mean the metropolitan New York area, you've got, you got two huge uh, assets in NYCFC and the New York Red Bulls. You, they're in your backyard, so you better be in their face, and you better be mining uh, those players that are in those, uh, th- that are in those uh, developmental academies because they're not all going to become homegrown players, and they're not all going to go over to uh, Europe uh, at a young age. So there's, there's real talent over there, but it's, it, nothing has changed ultimately in that you've got to be able to attract talent. And when you have talent in your own area, you, you sure as hell better not lose any of that talent. I love Danny, uh, and it's a pity that it didn't work out, but this program should be better, and, and it can be better. And I really hope from a Rutgers perspective, and I know I'm an old Rutgers guy, that they figure out a way to, to give, give people the type of program uh, that they deserve. And this area of the country, that uh, type of program that reflects the incredible talent that exists around that university. Sticking with college soccer, there's a player at Indiana named Andrew Gutman that Sasso Soroski, one of the more respected names in college soccer, says not only does he deserve to be a pro, he deserves a shot with the U.S. national team, which you don't say quite as much for four-year players anymore in college, right? They either leave early like a Zach yep. Steffen, go overseas and that type of thing. What do you know about uh, what Andrew Gutman could bring? Well, look, I don't know enough about him to, to talk in an educated way about him. But I will say this about him or anybody else for that matter. I know that at times college soccer takes, uh, you know, takes a licking. And uh, it's, been, it's kind of the cool thing to do nowadays to poo-poo over uh, all over college soccer. Uh, college soccer certainly, as you know better than anyone, has changed over the years. But I still believe that college soccer has a place in the soccer development of a player. Not everybody uh, is going to find that pathway that goes through Europe. Not everybody is going to find that pl- pathway uh, that uh, goes to a homegrown uh, path. Not everybody is going to leave after a couple of years. And it doesn't mean that you can't not only be a good soccer player, but a great soccer player. And I do think that in our rush to create better soccer players, sometimes we have failed them as human beings. Because ultimately, we, we are producing, yes, where we're trying to produce better soccer players, but I do feel that inherent in that is a responsibility to produce better people that are going to lead our country, not necessarily on the soccer field, but also off the soccer field. I do think that that is part of our responsibility. And so I do think that's, that college that the college route gives players an opportunity to experience something unique that enables them to handle the other 22 and a half hours that we never talk about. We always talk about the 90 minutes, and that's all fine and well, but they got to be able to handle that other 22 and a half. And sometimes your ability to handle the 90 is, de- is dependent on how well you handle the 22 and a half. And so I think that whether it's the player that you're talking about or anybody else, 
I don't think that we should automatically uh, move on from a player simply because he or she has chosen the college route. I think what we, we would be doing ourselves and ultimately whatever team, if in this case it would be the national team or a professional team, you're doing yourself a disservice if you automatically discount someone because he or she decided to take the college path. And just to confirm, you did go with takes a licking, right? That was the word yeah. you went with, takes a licking? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love that. That's old school right there, Alexi. Okay, oh, yeah. final question. Thanksgiving is tomorrow. Alexi Lalas is thankful for... Well, I mean, obviously I'm thankful for uh, the he- my health and the health of the people that I love. You know, I, I, I talk about soccer for a living, and as I said, I'm so incredibly blessed and thankful to be able to do that. But I also consistently remind myself about how small it actually is in the greater scheme of things and having a perspective and an understanding and look every day you, you can look in the news and you can find something else that's just horrible you know we, we, we i live in los angeles and the the incredible wildfires mm-hmm. here in los angeles and in california are coming on the backs of a shooting all of these different things we live in a in, in at times a, a crazy and confused um, and a difficult to understand type of world. Uh, but the the love of family and the love of friends uh, and, and your health and being able to experience a life that despite all those other things uh, is amazing. I am incredibly thankful for that and I'm thankful for the soccer community that has embraced me for so many years um, and enabled me to continue to make a living in a sport that I love even though I don't kick the ball anymore. Uh, and ultimately, I'm thankful for living in what I feel is the greatest country in the world in the United States, and uh, I will fight anybody who disagrees. And when I say fight, I mean debate them, because I'm a lover, not a fighter, when it comes to hitting anybody. <laughs> I love that. I'm thankful for everything you just said right there, and I'm also thankful that you're always available to be on the program, and uh, people love hearing you, Alexi. You love stirring it up as well, which is great, and you're not afraid to take on both sides of any story, which also makes you great. Lexi Lalas, happy Thanksgiving to you and your beautiful family, and again, thanks for always being ready to come on the program. I do appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. Happy Thanksgiving to you and all your listeners. Alexi Lalas, I can listen to him all day. I know not everybody says that, but for me, all day, any day. Alexi Lalas, always ready to be on the program, always ready to talk soccer, always ready to enjoy life and uh, everything he said. We should be thankful for he is spot on. Kentucky, Kentucky men's soccer should be thankful that they decided to hire Johan Settergren by way of Sweden. He came over to Cincinnati when Jeff Cook, the new Penn State coach, saw him over there when he was on his honeymoon, said, wait, he's the kind of player I need at Cincinnati where he was coaching, played for Jeff Cook. Johan Settergren went into the business world, was having some success when Jeff Cook got the Dartmouth job, he tried one time to get him out of there. It didn't work. Tried a second time to get him out of there. He said, you know what? I want my kids to know that I'm doing something that I love, so I'm going to do it. He goes to Dartmouth. In five years, Dartmouth makes that great run, and Kentucky takes notice. His wife's from Cincinnati. He's got an opportunity to come back near the area, take over Kentucky. Seven years in, all but one year, all but one year they made the NCAA tournament. It was last year. They come back better than ever, absolutely pounding big-name teams like Louisville and Indiana. Number three seed in the NCAA tournament. They face Lipscomb on Saturday night. Their head coach, Johan Settergren, that's the Americanized version of his name. He's from Sweden. He joins me next on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. 
Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Hello, folks. Dean Link here with a special reminder from the United Soccer Coaches. If you haven't already registered for the 2019 convention in Chicago, you've got two weeks, two weeks to do so before the price increases. Register by 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on December 5th and secure the best rate on your registration and meal functions. Visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org and get your registration completed today. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I want to thank Alexi Lalas. What a phenomenal breakdown of today's matchup, USA-Italy. His thoughts on the search for a head coach for the men's national team and anything you throw at Alexi Lalas, he's ready for it. That's why he is one of the best in the business, a true icon. It's college soccer season, though, as you know. Last week, we spent some time with Todd Yegley. What a job he's done. Finished as the number one team in the country, the United Soccer Coaches Poll, number two in the 48-team field. They walloped UConn. They'll face Air Force on Sunday. Coming up, Doug Hill, the head coach of the Air Force team, will also join us. But one team that took a thumping, I'm talking thumping to Indiana, was Kentucky. And they are big-time folks. They're led by Johan Settergren, the man from Sweden, by way of the University of Cincinnati. Jeff Cook, also a friend of the program, the head coach of Penn State. He played for him. He was an assistant coach under him. Next thing you know, he's seven years in. He's got Kentucky beating down some big-time teams, including Indiana. They'll play Lipscomb Saturday night, 7 o'clock for a shot at the winner between Duke and Maryland and a spot in the Elite Eight. How about that? Johan Settergren joins me now. Johan, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me on, Dean. It's exciting. Yeah, we're delighted to have you on. And first off, we know you're from Sweden. We know that Jeff Cook found you when he went over there. He's supposed to be on his honeymoon. Instead, he's thinking soccer all day long. He finds you. He gets you to Cincinnati. But let's set it straight. You're from Sweden. You've been kind enough to Americanize your name. But for your mom, who could listen to this, how is your name supposed to be pronounced? Okay. Are you ready for this one? Let's do it. You won. You won. See it again. All right, and like we said, Johan Settergren is exactly. <laughs> it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> hey, listen, thanks so much for uh, letting us Americanize that. Uh, we do appreciate it, and and thanks so much for joining us. So here we go. All right, we want to hear your story. So tell us about uh, the first time that uh, you interface with Jeff Cook before you joined him as a player in Cincinnati. Yeah, so um, you know, I, I came through a, a company called uh, Blue Chip. And they're actually still in business, but a small company out of Gothenburg. And, and uh, I had a friend of mine that told me about the idea of coming over and, and studying at the uh, in the U.S. And Jeff had had a he had a Swedish player the year before I came over to come through the same company. So Jeff was familiar with them. They reached out to a couple of schools in the U.S. to see if there would be any interest in a 
beat up holding center midfielder that couldn't pass the ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow Jeff decided that that was something that he would be interested in. When I think about Sweden and, and during that time, I was the press officer for the U.S. World Cup team in 94. And, you know, Henrik Larsson with those dreads, you know, I mean, you were yeah. right there, right? When when he was playing, right? And is, I mean, just coming up through the so, system. And, and again, yeah, I'm born 75. So nine, 94, I was 19 years old. And I think that it's one of my best summers of all time that world cup because the games were on late at night we were off school of course because it was in the summer and every game you know the 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 whole nation just couldn't believe that we kept advancing and and that was it was a very very special tournament for for all any swede that's around my age and that's a soccer fan like you can say anything about those games and they'd be like yep I was there. I did this. Very exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. I loved watching them, and he was so exciting. It's hard to believe that he's bald now, right, when you think about that incredible hair he had back then. But, uh, you know, what a great time to come up. Okay, so you land in Cincinnati, which is pretty cool. I'm a massive Bengals fan as well, which not too many people admit that, by the way. And you're there. You're loving it. And just talk about the four years and then your decision to get your master's from Xavier. And you actually, like, stepped away from soccer. You were like a true businessman right? Yeah. So I was the first in my family to get a university degree. And I, I have, I have an undergrad in finance and then an MBA with a finance focus. And I just felt like I'd put so much work in uh, that I wanted to try it out and, and, and see if that was something that I could see myself uh, doing long term. I think also part of that story is that uh, I played one year in the A-League for the world-famous Cincinnati Riverhawks. <laughs> and uh, we played 27 games. We won two games. We tied two games. And we lost 23. Ouch. Yeah. So that's when I decided, well, you know what? I think I might have had enough for soccer for a while. So actually, <laughs> about six and a half years, I worked in finance. You're working along. And the way Jeff Cook tells it, he goes to Dartmouth and... I felt like he said he kind of maybe tried to pry you away earlier, but it took a little time, and then he was finally able to get you. You're not sure if that's totally accurate, but whatever, he did get you. What was that like when you said, you know what, I'm going to go in and tell him I'm resigning and I'm headed to Dartmouth? Yeah, it, it, it's true that Jeff, um, he reached out uh, uh, one time earlier, and I just didn't feel again that it was the right time for me, but As I was finishing up my MBA at Xavier, um, you know, a lot of the classes are talking about whatever you want to do in life, you you know, if you want to be successful, you should be passionate about it. Uh, So I had that kind of ringing in the back of my head. And then also I have a 13-year-old son and a 7-year-old daughter. And as Gavin, our oldest, he was about to be born about that same time as well. So I don't know if you have any children, but that was a life-changing stage in my life where I was thinking about, okay, you know, when my son is my age – and he's looking at me, does he see someone that has, you know, maximized his potential, had a really, really good run, love what he's doing, or is it just one of those guys where, he, you know, he goes to work, he clocks in, he clocks out, but, you know, he can't, get, he can't wait to get out of, to get home. So I, I think for me it was those things were kind of putzing around in the back of my head, and then Jeff kept pushing, and I was like, you know what, this is what I want to do. And, and again, talking to Jeff and having played for Jeff, I just – I think college soccer, it's a wonderful environment. And to be able to have young men from 18 to 22 and and really work with them in regards to, you know, developing their ability, but also who they are. And one of the things that we work really hard on here is core values. And we have five core values. We talk about selfless, humble, disciplined, problem solver, and UK attitude. And we really, really work with our guys on those five things with every facet of their lives. 
And I think to be able to do that is, is priceless. Before we get you to Kentucky, talk about those five years. You clearly got stuck in as the assistant coach uh, because, you know, in five years later, you're interviewing for a head coaching job with no head coaching experience. And I want to get to that. But clearly in those five years, as I just said, you really did get stuck in. Talk about that time. It's funny. I was actually talking to uh, another school this morning. I gave them a recommendation of, about a, a job opening they have, and I don't want to get into it any more than that. But what I said was that this person that I was recommending, we kind of had some common ties to Jeff. And I think that anyone that's worked with Jeff, mm. there's, there are two things we're going to do is we're going to do it the right way and we're going to work our socks off. Mm. And, it, and if, if, if you do that, over a long period of time, I think you're going to end up in a pretty special place. And, and again, you know, I played for Jeff for three years. Jeff and I were good friends. It's, you know, it, it's someone that I, I consider to be almost like a big brother for me. We, we uh, surprised him on his 50th birthday. Now we've got that on the air, how old he is as well. Uh, I think that might have been two summers ago now, so that would put him at 52. He's either 51 or 52. But, you know, again, and I, I just think that he's someone that I consider as a mentor and, and, and just to be able to go up there. And I think that Dartmouth is a really, really special place. You know, I love the outdoors and to be able to be up there working really hard, at, you know, at a place where, you know, soccer is really, really appreciated and taken care of and working with some really special players. It, it was just, you know, anyone that's ever going to go work for Jeff, you're not going to have it easy. He's very, very demanding. But he's one of the best that I know, and um, what he wants is he wants his pro program to have as much success as possible, and however hard you have to do work to get there, he is willing and his staff is willing to do that. Well, and obviously lightning in a bottle, right? Dartmouth uh, had made it through the Sweet 16, big wins. They beat Notre Dame, an amazing run they had. And certainly that was big, right? Because people are looking at Dartmouth, what's going on? And as you said uh, so astutely, Coach Cook, one of the best. And obviously, as Coach Cook always says, I'm only as good as my coaches and the players and everything else. So there you are. Kentucky's looking for a coach. But what made you think as a guy with just five years of college coaching as an assistant that you could get this job, Johan? Well, I, I was a little older just because I stepped away. So I think that, you know, having that, I call it real world experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that was something that made me a unique candidate. And then I think also with the success that we had at Dartmouth, that again, if there was some AD out there or someone running a search committee that was looking for a, a younger up-and-coming guy that was going to work as hard as it took to turn a program around, and I thought that I would be a decent candidate. And I think it's all about timing and those kinds of things. And what happened here, and I'm not going to speak for Mitch, but uh, Mr. Barnhart, who was the AD here, he kind of did the same thing with softball and gymnastics and volleyball previously to doing the men's soccer hire. So I think that he was looking again for a candidate that maybe wasn't a super high-profile uh, coach but someone that was very very knowledgeable and again coming in with that hunger and drive because those first couple of years when you're trying to turn a program around that is all you do 24 7 365 what do you remember being the tipping point in the interview where you could say to your wife who probably wanted to get back to that area Cincinnati is so close that uh, was hey I, I got a good vibe here I think I got a chance to get this job we met up at the airport Marriott up in Cincinnati. So they drove up and I flew in. I was actually coming back from the winter uh, showcase with the development Academy. So we met for four hours 
Mm. And uh, one of the things that I, I know, speaking to my sports supervisor, Kevin Soule, that really impressed them was that at 6 a.m., they're in the hotel uh, gym working out, and I'm there as well because the <laughs> interview started at 7 or 7.30. So I think that they liked that I was able to disassociate enough to get a workout in before the the actual interview. And then I think it is with so many jobs and so many ADs and what they're looking for in regards to the coaches that they hire is I think that they're looking for a personality fit. And I think that, you know, I went in there with a, I had a bound book where I presented my vision of the program and what I wanted to do in the first hundred days and the first year and the first three years and kind of my background and some of the things that were an absolute no starters for me and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and again, you know, having hired a couple of younger assistants to other programs, I think that it was just one of those where, I was kind of exactly what he's looking for. And, uh, you know, I, 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 we, we end the interview. I get back to my hotel room, and the first thing, you know, of course I get on my phone and I call my wife, and, and I, I would have literally chopped off one of my legs to get the Kentucky job at that point because Mitch and Kevin are two unbelievably impressive people, and the vision that they presented to me, what they were looking for with the program, was exactly what I was looking for. So I think it's just one of those where the timing was right and, and we were able to connect and – we were looking for the same things. Well, here you go. You've got your team in the NCAA tournament. Now you've got them as the number three seed. Amazing. 18, one and one. That's right, folks. 18, one and one. A perfect 11 and zero at home as well. Into the NCAA tournament. Uh, you take care of Portland to advance to play Lipscomb. And you do it in impressive fashion like you've done all year. Four nothing throttling. You beat Old Dominion three to nothing. You beat Evansville four to nothing. Six one over New Mexico. 3-0 over the Buckeyes, 3-0 over Indiana, 2-1 over South Carolina. You beat Charlotte. I mean, these are not your everyday patsies here. 3-0 over Louisville down the road. I mean, you're not just winning. You're smokehousing some teams here, Coach. Tell us about your team. What makes you so successful? I have an unbelievably special team, and it's a team that I'm really, really you know, proud about. So I think we'll hop on to the team here just in one second, but – you know, if you go back to not this season, but the season prior, we did not make the tournament. We made five NCAA tournaments in the seven years I've been here, which I'm really proud of. But in, in the fall of 2017, we did not. We were 7-2-2 two, and two after 11 games and then went 1-4-2 and two in the last seven. And we lost to Marshall in the regular season. And then Marshall, locked, they knocked us out of the conference tournament. So last year was one of those where we thought we were just humming along and all of a sudden a couple of things happened that made you say, okay, going forward, what are some things that I have to change to make sure that this never happens again? And if you look at those teams that we had 14, 15, and 16, when we had a three-year run to the NCAA tournament and we won a conference title, 4-2-3-1, extremely defensive-oriented, sitting back, waiting for the other team to open up and then hit them on the counter because we had a really, really special number 10. And I just didn't think that that was a model that would work with the team that we had coming back. So we changed 4-4-2. Um, J.J. Williams, who is, if not the best, one of the top two or three forwards in the country, J.J.'s first two years here with us, he scored seven goals total. He has scored, I believe it is, 18 goals this year alone now. And I think, again, we looked at he was one of the big pieces that we had coming into this year and say, okay, well, you know, I think there's so much more potential in J.J., so how can we build a system around where we can really harness that and, and make sure that we get 100% out of his capacity? 
So we decided to start playing 4-4-2 instead. And I think, you know, Jeff played 4-4-2 in Cincinnati. We played some 4-4-2 at Dartmouth. But I'd never played 4-4-2 here because I, I, th- I felt like it left center midfield too exposed. But we started working on it in January. We had a really successful spring. We tied Notre Dame 2-2 up in Indianapolis at a showcase there. So we felt we were really on the right path. And then the guys came back after summer. They were all fit. All the freshmen for the first time ever when we ran the fitness test, they all passed. So we just felt like, you know what, I think we're on to something here. We're just going to keep pushing. And I think that then goes back to the special team. And if you look at J.J., Key, and Tanner, who are our three captains, you know, it, it starts and ends with them because every day when we come to practice, the guys are up for it. They're positive. They push each other. And, of course, you know, everyone has ups and downs. But as a squad, we always grade out after practice. And I, I, I say to one of the older guys, okay, please grade us out today from training. And I think one time since we started preseason in August, have we agreed as a squad and as a staff that we did not have a good practice? And that starts and ends with the captain. You're hearing the voice of Johan Sedergren, the Conference USA Coach of the Year. He talked about J.J. Williams, the Conference USA Player of the Year. Also the couple captains. And you got Jason Reyes, the freshman of the year, who's working his way back from a little bit of an injury, right? Like, I think he got some time right in your last game. Is that right? Yeah, he assisted to the first goal. Uh, again, he's not 100%, but, you know, every day he keeps getting better. And, and we feel really, really good about him going in this weekend. What about uh, answering that question, though? Like, you're, you're not just winning. Games. I mean, you beat Indiana three to nothing, and Coach Indiana's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and I heard that Todd was on. Uh, was it last week? Yeah. Uh, so you know, you no. Know, in regards to looking at institutions and programs that we are trying to replicate, and something that Mitch and Kevin and I talked about when I was hired, Indiana was one of those that we brought up. And I think that when we beat them at home this year. That was the 11th time that we played IU at home, and our record after the win was 1-8-2. and two. Clearly things are going right. Like, What do you remember about what went right on that day? No, again, we have a couple of things that we try to um, achieve and, and that we look for on the ball. I think, again, we're a lot more focused on what we do on the ball versus the last couple of years. It was more about, okay, what do we have to make sure that we do right defensively? And again, you start with a player like J.J., you have Khalil and Medcar, who is the Philadelphia Union product that, of course, you know, Jeff and I, when Jeff was working at Philadelphia Union, uh, we were talking very closely about it, and we were very, very excited. To, there were several programs in for Khalil, but we were able to get him here. Khalil is another one of those stories where he didn't register a single point as a freshman, and I think he has 10 goals and 11 assists his sophomore year. And again, I think it starts with, the right attitude, having the core values, coming every single day trying to get better, and then playing a system that the players really, really embrace. And I think in that 4-4-2 with J.J. being up front and a lot of teams really focusing on him, now you have Jason Reyes underneath that you can free him up a little bit. You can have Khalil come underneath. or come, you know, Again, Khalil scored two goals this past weekend. He also looks to run behind centrally. So we've, we've just found a way – to maximize the assets that we had in the squad. And again, in the past, it was more sitting back and waiting for opportunities. And and this year, it's 100 miles an hour press, get the ball up to JJ, get the ball in the final third, and then we have some really special players that can do things with them once we're there. Number three in the country, and I'm not sure if – got to believe you've heard this as well, but – I'm calling games all over the country, and all of a sudden the United Soccer Coaches rankings will pop up, or maybe we're getting ready for a game, and some of the people in the production truck will be like, wait, are, are you guys talking basketball? Like, what? 
Kentucky, like <laughs> number three. Are you talking basketball, right? And and no, we're not talking basketball. We're talking soccer, right? Where uh, you know basketball clearly on the map, but now you've got soccer standing straight up and saying, "Hey, look at me, right?" Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and again, it's one of those you know seven years is a long, long time. Um, you were talking about Henry Larson's hair before, and <laughs> uh, just to say that I, I had a lot more hair in the back of my head when I got the Kentucky job versus now and I think that it's both the best and the worst jobs being a soccer coach but as a male Olympic sport there are lots of places where you know you wish you could do more or you wish you could do this or you have to do a lot of fundraising or there are other things away from soccer that you have to focus on you know we're very very well taken care of here the administration every sport's a priority of course we're not basketball or football but we get our fair share and and anything that I feel you know Mitch this would be something that really could help the program take the next step. He will find a way to be able to provide that for the team. So if you look at, and again, this is a soccer podcast, but volleyball just won back-to-back SEC titles. Rifle won a national championship last year. Gymnastics is about to start up. They had one of their best years. Swimming just won a national title for one individual event. So it's just like everywhere around you, if you're the team that doesn't make a deep run against the other tournament, you're the worst team at the school. So if you need any extra fuel, which, again, that's not me, but if, if you need any encouragement, you know, there, there's no one slacking off at Kentucky because we're all really, really good. And that's the expectation with Mitch is that, listen, I will give you what you need, but if I give you this, I'm expecting you to make a run. So tying that all together, and I loved your story. Uh, I really did because when you said, you know, hey, you got to start thinking about particularly when you have kids, and I do have kids, and I'm proud to say my kids know I love – they know that I love what I do, and hopefully that reflects down on them. So today with uh, your native of Cincinnati, your wife Julia Greenwald, as Gavin and Abigail look at you living there in Lexington, how are they feeling about uh, this decision? You know, it's it's so many people that get an opportunity or or, or get close to this and then something goes wrong or whatever. So uh, I'm always, as Jeff knows, I'm very much a glass of a half empty kind of guy to make sure that I'm always prepared if something goes wrong. So I think that I don't expect this going forward every year. But at the same time, if you look back at the decision of changing careers and what kind of father do I want to be to my children, and what kind of lessons am I trying to teach them with how, you know, what I do for a living or how, how I spend my time that I have, I think that I'm, I'm very, very happy. And, and to be able to be at a place like Kentucky and being close to my wife's family up in Cincinnati, you know, it, it, it's very, very good right now. And, and, and what we talked about after the conference tournament was, okay, we came back on the bus Sunday and then we try and trained Monday. And I said, okay, guys, I would like to train next Monday. And that's what we're talking about now because today is Tuesday, so they're off today, and then we'll train Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then play Saturday. We want to train again Monday. So I think that sometimes you get so caught up with, you know, we want to make a Final Four or I want to get a, you know, we want to win a national title or whatever it is. But I think it starts very often it starts with, okay, you know what? Can we get better this week? And if we get get better this week, can we get another week? And then you start stringing them together, and all of a sudden now you end up with a number three ranking where, you know, hopefully we get to go, we get to play at home Saturday, and if we win Saturday, we get to do a quarterfinal against Duke or Maryland at home on, at the Bell, which when I was hired, people would have laughed if you, if you said that. You know what? I think that in a couple of years, 
we're going to be hosting a quarterfinal. Part of uh, what you've got to be enjoying, I would think, as we wrap up our time here with Johan Sedergren, the head coach for the Kentucky men's soccer team, number three in the country, getting ready for their NCAA tournament third round matchup against Lipscomb on Saturday night is, you know, your wife's from Cincinnati. Uh, it's a little different now than your days with the Riverhawks. I think that's what they were called. Maybe now as the Riverhawks that you played for. <laughs> yes, is that yes, right? Yes, yeah. Yes. I mean, FC Cincinnati, I mean, 25,000 on a bad day, right? Like it's a yeah. pretty good soccer market. You're hanging around. It's incredibly exciting because of course you have Cincinnati who's coming into the MLS. Then you have Nashville, which is only three hours South. And then you have the USL reigning champion, Louisville, which is only an hour and 15 mm. to our west. Right. So, again, like you said earlier, Kentucky, you're talking basketball. With the state of Kentucky, you're talking soccer. But I think, again, it is a market that is exploding in regards to interest and abilities and players. You know, we broke the attendance record against IU this year. We had 3,500 people when we when we beat them, and, and we had 1,800 people at the NCAA game, which was you know it's a pretty cold day on Saturday. So again, we get 1,500 to 2,000 people come to a soccer game, and that's a you know for the for the Europeans that we have on the team or have had you know that's more people than they draw at home. Well done with the crowds. Final question: You faced Lipscomb already. It was a great game uh, played in Nashville, 3-2 overtime game. What do you remember about uh, that game and that matchup as you look forward to the rematch on Saturday night uh, when it's uh, winner go home time? Yeah, I think you know the first thing you have, you have to give Charles and his staff a lot of credit. I think they they lost seven games in a row at one point this season, and now they've turned it around and they're in a Sweet 16 game. So. You know, Charles and I know each other fairly well. Uh, we've played almost every single year. I think that, you know, they're a very, very good team. They're very good on the ball. And for us, it's a game where maybe they're not coming in highly ranked, but, you know, that was a scare for us. We were winning 2-0, and they came back to 2-2, and then J.J. scored a goal in overtime. But I think, again, our guys have been really, really switched on. Um, Josh, uh, my uh, one of my assistants, he threw me this stat yesterday where, We've played six top 25 teams. We're 6-0, and and the goal differential is 15-4 and zero against. We're not doing anything different. We're just going to do that. That works for me, indeed. What a pleasure. This was great. Jeff Cook told me it was going to be great, and he underestimated it. It was outstanding. Johan Sedergren, correctly pronounced, go. Absolutely, yes. You won. See it again. There it is. Oh, I got it. I thought you yeah. said you won, but you're actually saying your name. No, no, no. I said my name. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought you said that one is my my carryout name is John. <laughs> Absolutely, just to so make if sure. You ever go somewhere and order something like, okay, what's your name, John? Yeah, just, just keep go it. with John. There you go. Well, whatever it is, whatever you're doing, it's working. People are taking notice, and I can see why. Pleasure hanging out with you. Good luck against Lipscomb, and congratulations on all your success, Coach. Thank you, Dean, and thanks for you do for the soccer community. I really appreciate it. So once again, his name is? You won. See it again. Yeah, that's it, and he was great. Speaking of great, Doug Hill, the head coach of Air Force. They take on Indiana on Sunday. He's up next. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help customers save their time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to find out more.
What a great show. Alexi Lalas breaking down the USA-Italy match, the search for the next coach for the U.S. men's national team, and anything you want to throw at Alexi Lalas. I want to thank Johan Settergreen, the number three seed team in the country, Kentucky. And no, we weren't talking basketball. The Kentucky men's soccer team that put a beat down on Indiana three to nothing. And that'll be the goal for the Air Force Academy. That's right. Air Force takes on Indiana Sunday at noon on the Big Ten Network. I am uh, lucky and blessed enough to have that call as well as we do a little double dip promotion on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I used to live out in Colorado Springs, used to hang out at the Air Force Academy. It is beautiful. Those cadets are amazing. And look at Air Force goal. Remember Lou Sagastumi? Doug Hill played for Lou Sagastumi, right, Coach? You played for him, right? That's right. I was the first class that came in in uh, 79, and I graduated in 83, so I played four seasons with him, and it was awesome. And then you replaced Lou Sagastumi, correct? Well, we had a great bond. I learned from my mentor. He was here for uh, 28 years, so I got to spend 11 to 12 years with him, and then five as a player, and then uh, he handed over the reins, and I was lucky enough to be in the right spot at the right time. First of all, all of us as Americans love what uh, the Air Force is all about, for one, okay? Number two, though, having lived out there and having visited the academy, just tell everybody, if you can, in your own words, how spectacular it is, because it is spectacular. Yeah, you know, when they gave me choice of assignments and I got another one and I think I was going to go overseas. I said, no, I'd rather stay at the academy. And uh, I was on a good career track, but uh, getting the opportunity to come back and coach in Colorado with Lou and being in Colorado Springs was just brilliant. And uh, we love it every day and love the climate and uh, love living here. And let me tell you, the legends, the red aprons that are listening to this show, and they do listen once somebody kind of figures out how to point all the buttons. They love the ties to Colorado Springs. Lou Sagastumi, Horse Richardson won a big award last year. And you said you see both of them, right? Yeah, I get the – so we just went out after the uh, after our last win in Central Arkansas. Some of my old coaches, his assistant, Charlie Straw, when I was a player – we went all out to one of the local restaurants after the game and talked soccer and uh, brought up some old stories. And then I come in on Monday, and uh, Horse Richardson sends a text and say, Doug, keep it rolling. He, I think he said, you'll never get to 500 like me, but try, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so well said. I, that was so emotional how he – I don't know if you heard about it, but that is thing. He's got so much love for his wife. It was just incredible. Like, I, we were all fighting back tears, you know, as he was speaking uh, in his native tongue to her right at the end there. But. Uh, that's brilliant stuff. Okay, so just tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up before you decided to uh, j- you know, be a part of the Air Force Academy. Yeah, I'm an East Coast boy. My dad was one of the first day licensed coaches, Lee Hill, and uh, he was in the, the click with the Chesowitz and all those people from uh, back Al Miller's. And uh, so he knows the Jerry Yeagley, you know, the son that's coaching at uh, Todd Yeagley at uh, Indiana. So Fleetwood, Pennsylvania, small town, they just won a state championship, I think it was uh, last weekend. And uh, we were battling for state championships when there wasn't 3A, 4A, 5A. But the best thing about my town was my dad and Mr. Coach Ray Buss, who was an All-American out of Penn State, kind of put the the best thing about our school is we didn't have football. So all the best athletes played soccer. And I think between my junior and senior year, there's about nine players that went off and played Division I soccer. Here with the head coach of Air Force taking on Indiana. Talk about uh, your season this year, and then we'll get to your matchup against Denver. But uh, talk about just getting the right to play in the NCAA tournament. 
That's everybody's dream, and the dream came through. It started last year uh, when we made it, and uh, it, we've always had a little bit of a sour taste at the end of the season because you don't get past that first round. Uh, the year before, we didn't get selected, and we were 14-7-1, and one, and we thought we had a good chance, but we didn't get selected the year before. So this year, we got to that 14, and... Uh, you know, playing at home was brilliant, and I think the best thing about our bracket is it felt like another home game because all we had to do is get on the bus, go 50 miles north, and play uh, Denver. Well, and you had to play one of the leading candidates for the Mac Herman Trophy, a young man who's got 28 goals and a young man who you say the name better than me. So go ahead and tell us uh, his name again. Yeah, Shinashiki he plays in the ninth position, but he floated all over the place that night. But uh, he's number nine, and he does a great job. Well, I understand the plan was to eliminate the midfielder that feeds him the ball and then actually keep your line tight so he doesn't get over that final shoulder, and it worked out for you, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. And we had experience with that with about, I think, four years ago or five years ago when there was uh, Zardis, a player you probably know, in the uh, U.S. national team, and this guy named Chewy from B- Bakersfield. And uh, I said if we, we cut off the hand that feeds the mouth, which is, the, you know, if we cut off the number 12 that feeds the number 9, I think we can get the job done tonight. So, look, I know um, perhaps maybe this is talked about too much, but I don't care. I mean, you think about – what you guys are doing here is you're advancing through the tournament. It's amazing. But the schedule that your players have to face, uh, I mean, with deference to all the other teams, it's a different level schedule, right, Coach? Can you tell people about that? Well, yeah, they're getting up early. They're getting up at 6 or 6.30 and going to class all morning. And I asked two of them, just to give you an example for today, I asked two of them to come down to uh, an interview, and one had to finish a project because this is the last day and he has to have it in on time. We go on the road and they take tests if it's a test day. So there's no leniency there. And uh, they, it's an Ivy League school with a military twist. And then we, the, the best part of their outlet is getting on the soccer pitch and letting all that ener- cooped-up energy release. And uh, so the highlight of the day is probably their soccer, but they grind it out up on the hill, which we call the hills up in the academic area. But just tremendous people. It's, I'm fortunate to work with such a great group, and i got a great group of seniors. I think I have nine there and eight start. Well, and because you went there, uh, you know that grind. And, again, before we talk Indiana, talk about uh, what your service tours were and what exactly you were doing when uh, you were out of, uh, you know, when, basically when your, your four years or five years were up right there. Yeah, the best year, I started out right where I ended up. Uh, Coach Sagastumi said, hey, can you stay for an extra year? And uh, I said, I'd love to, but I don't know how it's going to work because i got a flying assignment. So they got me to stay as a second lieutenant. I got to coach, and it was just uh, Lou Sagastumi and myself here for that first year, and we did really well that year. And then I went off flying. Uh, I went to flight school as a navigator out in uh, California and Mather Air Force Base. And then got an assignment out of there to Dias Air Force Base, which is in Abilene, Texas. Flew C-130s, a lot of airdrop. And from there, uh, was trying to get back, and they say, no, you need to stay in the cockpit. We put all this money into you. you got to stay a little longer than that. Um, flying, you have a six-year commitment, and I only had five in. So I went up to C-141s at McCord Air Force Base, which is in Washington. And then got the lucky call where Coach Sagas knew me said, hey, we want you back here. And I said, all right, I'm coming as soon as I can. And then I got to fly here. Boeing 737s out of uh, Buckley, which is in Denver, and uh, with the cadet navigation program, and got the coach here for 92 to 97. From there, I went back to McCord because I knew what to do up there, and uh, 
ended up come, leaving there in 01 and stayed as an active duty to a lieutenant colonel and got out of the service in 06, and then uh, Louie handed over the reins. Wow. So 06 is the last time you flew then? 2006, yes. Incredible. Thank you so much, uh for doing that as well and uh you know it's just uh, again having lived out there i know as you said uh, the incredible work that uh, these young cadets do and i can't wait to actually see them play on sunday got the call against indiana so here you go you get one mac herman trophy candidate out of the way as you just talked about and now you get uh, in my view the best college player out there doing it from the left back position 11 goals eight assists on the season andrew gutman and a whole lot of other pretty good hoosiers just talk about your preparation for a real good team well the uh the best part of our team i think is the attacking portion and so we hope to have the ball a little bit and attacking and keep him back in his left back position but we know that's probably not going to be totally possible so we'll make some minor adjustments but i want to stay with our game plan what made us successful this year and one of the leading scoring teams in the country is our offensive uh, presence so playing the ball with the good midfielders uh, some senior players and getting in behind is the key to every game so, you know, defense has to win championships, but we got to find a way to score like we have been all year. I love hearing that. That's going to be great television, folks. 12 o'clock Eastern on the Big Ten Network. And those living out uh, in Colorado, I'm sure you can find some place as well that has the Big Ten Network. It'll be a good one. That's also being streamed on btn to go and BTN+. Plus. It should be exciting. So it sounds like uh, you're going to go in and play some soccer, right? That's what you're telling me. That's that's the game plan, and uh, unless they dictate differently, but uh, we we want to be going end to end and uh, see what we got. But we're not going to sell the farm either at the same time. The same respect that I'm sure that uh, Indiana has for what these young men do as cadets at uh, at the Air Force Academy, I gotta believe you've got that same respect for what Indiana is as a soccer dynasty, right? Absolutely, they've been there. Um, they have a little bit more crowns on their uh, and on, on their hat than we have, but uh, you know the teams. If you look at them, they, you know we don't have any foreigners, and they used to have a lot, but they don't have many anymore. And they're a bunch of senior groups too. And some of them stayed around a year extra instead of going pro to try to capture that their final uh, goal of a national championship. And no doubt they're in contention. But the, the best thing I think is we don't have to win seven games; we just have to win one. Well, that's well said. Just got to win one. Okay. And you talked about this attacking flair. I already said a big name in Andrew Gutman. There's several more for Indiana. Tell us the names to watch for Air Force that make that offense so productive. Yeah, our, our midfield's pretty productive with uh, Tucker Bone um, taking the pace and, and being able to take players on one-on-one. He's one of our leading scorers. Um, our center forward, Quinn Parker, puts a lot of pressure on backs, and uh, he's pretty active and gets on the end of it. He scored the first goal against Denver, and, you know, he's more of an opportunist type of forward. And then Austin Dewing, um, if you give him room, and he can run at you, and he's got good ball skills, and he has power to go forward, and uh, he does. He invites the bang if you want to bang against him. But uh, And then on Danny Hahn, I think the best thing about him is you always look for peak performances when it comes time to playoff games, and he's been turning it on the last two games. I've seen a step up in his game. So the other midfielders, Luis Martinez, he's kind of the glue, keeps it together. And James Sims, probably one of the best overall players defensively, covers more ground than anybody on the pitch. So uh, three big guys there. Um, you'll see Tucker do some special things, and uh, I'm sure they'll be watching him and have a game plan for him also. 
Relative to the part of the world it is, Midwest to Colorado Springs, they're talking rain, maybe a little bit colder, but I mean, it's not like you're not used to playing in tough conditions, right? No, all the elements are good, and I like it because we're altitude trained, and we've been, you know, we're at 5,000 when we played in Denver, 7,000 here, so maybe a little extra lung when we run down there, but I think we'll also need it, you know. I'll probably tell the boys to, to stay in this game. We can't take our foot off the pedal at all, and it's not break time. It's how much pressure can we keep adding to keep it, you know, where we want the ball in their, in their half, if possible. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to take some from what you saw in that UConn game, which I felt bad for UConn because they had to exert so much energy to come from behind to win that game over Rhode Island and just look like they didn't have anything left in the tank. But it also showed you, Coach, that uh, if Indiana sees blood in the water, they're going to go for it as well. That's got to be part of the prep as well to try to maybe hold them to not any goals in the first half of the first half, right? Yeah, correct. Like I said, we're not going to we're not going to expose ourselves too much, but we're going to take our punches when we get them. You know, you got to feel out the team and uh, take your opportunities. But uh, a good defense is a good offense. And then the best thing about my team is we got 11 players committed to come back and defend, and that's what it's going to take. What would it mean to the Air Force Academy to make an Elite Eight appearance? <laughs> it would mean the world to the players and some of the guys here wouldn't understand it you know some other cadets but uh, all the athletes would just this is unbelievable you know I was over across the street which is you know where the football offices and the hockey offices and swinging by some of those and they're just they're elated what we did you know and, and hockey's done it last year you know they were in the elite eight so the last time the best thing is in 93 I got the experience uh, I was coaching with Sagastumi and we made it to this round of the elite eight you know we lost to South Carolina, but uh, it was a heck of an experience. And uh, every time you make it one year, you hope you can make it a little further. And we did that year. And now, if we can make it to the next round, we can tie that 93 team record. I love it. Head coach Doug Hill, Air Force Academy. And you look at Indiana, his assistant coach, Kevin Ropes and Danny O'Rourke, former players at Indiana. You look at your coaching staff, Chris Foster, a former player at Air Force, who, by the way, got some time with the USB national team, playing up top with Eric Winalda and Marcelo Balboa was the captain. He also played with the Foxes, with Robin Frazier. I mean, those are names that, that I know and love and respect. I mean, that's kind of cool that you've got also a former Air Force soccer player as part of your coaching staff. Yeah, I got I got the best coaching staff here. I mean, Coach Foster, unbelievable recruiter. I I say he's the best on the academy. Um, if you can walk around with a kid that's just trying to figure out something, and you flew F-15s, you played pro, you were an All-American, you're the leading scorer here, and uh, you just and, and act like he's just a normal guy and a normal coach talking to these kids, but they don't even have an idea of how how good he was here. I, when I compare him. He's like a Messi in the college level, you know, and he had that spark and that step. And, uh, you know, he, he used to bang around the players until he banged too hard and he did his ACL one time against a little guy like him. And <laughs> then he doesn't step on the pitch quite as much, but he's still got the knowledge and he does a tremendous job. And then Hank Lewis we brought in last year, um, and he was his first year with us, and he's doing a tremendous job with our keepers and our backs and uh, just overall quality people and the type of guys you want around the Air Force Academy. All right, finally, Coach, you go into the house built by the godfather, Jerry Yegley. What's got to go right? What two things have to go perfectly right for Air Force to shock the Hoosiers? Well, if you can get that ball bouncing our way and we don't hit crossbars and we don't – if you control that. Uh, you know what? I tell the guys, you control your attitude, your effort, and your mentality. 
and half a defense or 90% of defense is a mentality. You know, or it's a one v one battle. You got to win those. You got to win the second battles. You got to have the attitude and effort. Um, they have nothing to lose. I'd say the pressure's on Indiana. Go out and show and flow and have a good time and uh, enjoy the moment. But uh, know that you put your boots on the same way as that Herman Trophy candidate does too. And I think Tucker Bones is in that category also. Certainly enjoyed this moment. Doug Hill, the head coach of Air Force, I'm going to take on Indiana. For a spot in the Elite Eight Sunday, 12 o'clock on the Big Ten Network. Doug, this is just step one of Dean Linky time. I'm going to need more time later in the week getting to know your team because I want to be able to say great things about all your players. I hope we can arrange that. That sound okay, Coach? That sounds great. Thanks, Dean. All right, yeah, big memories, great memories of my time out there near the Air Force program. Doug Hill, head coach of Air Force. What a great show. Lexi Lawless, Johan Settergren, and Doug Hill. We're back next week. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hello, folks, Dean link you with a special reminder from the United Soccer Coaches. If you haven't already registered for the 2019 convention in Chicago, you've got two weeks, two weeks to do so before the price increases. Register by 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on December 5th and secure the best rate on your registration and meal functions. Visit UnitedSoccerCoachesConvention.org and get your registration completed today.